I'm your host, Chris Nelson. I'm excited to have you join us for another episode of our podcast series, North American Unplugged. Now, I know there's a new year around the corner. North American Unplugged is going to look a little bit different or sound a little bit different, I should say. Uh, so I'm going to keep you posted on that because I know you're plugged in. See what I did there? Uh, but I'll keep you posted on that. But joining me today, very special guest, Tyler Brown, Director of Government Affairs. Tyler, welcome. Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, so look, I know we're going to jump right into this, but there is, spoiler alert, a new proposed fiduciary rule, and that's going to be the meat of today's topic, right? Released on Halloween. Oh, man. Just in time for spooky season. That's perfect. That's perfect. You wouldn't expect much less from Congress, right? Certainly. Well, from the Department of Labor. From the Department of Labor, Certainly could not. I would not expect anything less from them. No. (laughs) So, Tyler, uh, for those of our folks that are not quite familiar with you, uh, give them a little bit of your background and kind of lead us in here. Sure. So I uh, worked on Capitol Hill, actually, for uh, six years. Uh, came here uh, a, a few years back and uh, been doing government affairs. I uh, uh, focus on monitoring and advocating for uh, some of our policy priorities here, uh, one of which, maybe the biggest of which, is the Department of Labor fiduciary rule. So why don't you give me a, a little bit of history on this fiduciary rule? Because this isn't the first time this has reared its head, right? No, we are on 4.0, actually. 4.0. No, it is uh, the issue that that keeps coming back. It's like a game of whack-a-mole. It's, uh, <laughs> it just keeps on coming. But uh, so this this dates back to, well, so it's based on a law called ERISA, which we won't get too right. deep into. That That's back from into the 1970s. Right. So it's a longstanding statute, um, but it was recently uh, reinterpreted a few different times in very novel and expansive ways. Most uh, starting in 2010, and then uh, more seriously in 2015 and 2016 by the Obama administration. Uh, we'll get more into that version here in a bit, but uh, that was ultimately struck down by the courts. And there was another one in 2020, also being challenged by the courts right now. And uh, and now we've got this one. So, what is the gist of the fiduciary rule here? Sure. So. Uh, I'll get into a little bit of what this new iteration is, but first I do want to emphasize that this is only a proposal, uh, remains subject to change, and uh, which we'll discuss a little bit more here in a bit. Uh, also want to emphasize that we're still in the early stages of reviewing it and understanding what the implications of this new proposal are. Uh, so more to come on that. But at you know, a high level, this proposed rule would result in you know, the vast majority of uh, annuity producers offering qualified uh, retirement uh, recommendations, uh, triggering fiduciary status, um, and uh, becoming fiduciaries. So that would mean that they need to rely on a prohibited transaction exemption in order to receive compensation in the form of a commission. Uh, so that is the big uh, you know, 10,000 feet right. view gist of it. So you talked a little bit about um, the prohibited transaction exemption. Walk me through that a little bit, this PTE 8424. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you trigger fiduciary status, uh, traditionally, you know, you've been able to rely on a uh, prohibited transaction exemption called 8424, which also goes back to the 1970s. Uh, this is a disclosure-based uh, uh, PTE where you just disclose how you're paid to uh, to the consumer, and uh, if you're an insurance producer, then you're able to uh, uh, you're able to be, get exemptive relief from uh, uh, and, and can receive uh, commission. So it's very workable. It's been in existence for a long time. The Department of Labor does not like it. Um, they uh, grudgingly allowed it to continue to exist in its uh, traditional form in 2020, uh, and now they are coming back and saying, you know, no, you cannot continue to use it the way you have. You need to. Uh, they're, they're aligning it with. Uh, 
a uh, the best interest contract exemption that they uh, came out with back in uh, 2016, and and also the uh, uh, another exemption called 202002, which we can get a little more into in a, in a bit. But uh, they're adding uh, more stringent requirements, more disclosure. And uh, just in general, making it more difficult to, to be able to rely on this, this compliance pathway for producers. So what is this proposed fiduciary rule? look? So should this go into effect? Should this um, uh, affect me? And I'm a producer. I, I'm an agent. I'm a, I'm a financial professional. What does that mean for me in my day-to-day business? Sure. So, you know, if you're an insurance producer, uh, you, uh, you're going to need to, and you sell to from uh, two or more different uh, unrelated insurance companies, you can still use prohibited transaction exemption 2020-02. If you do not sell from two or more insurance companies, you cannot use it. Uh, that's and, and then also it is only available for fixed into, into fixed annuity sales as well. So uh, there's some restrictions on you know using it in the first place. But you know then once you are using 8424, there's quite a bit of additional disclosure you're going to be able to you're going to be required to provide to to folks. Uh, you know, including a rollover assessment, which would be, uh, you know, whether uh, what are some of the alternatives to providing a rollover? Sure. What are uh, what are some of the fees and expenses associated with it? Uh, you'd also need to provide a written acknowledgement that you are a fiduciary to consumers. Okay, you would need to uh, adhere to uh, what's called the impartial conduct standards. That means uh, you can't. You have to have reasonable compensation. You can't make any misleading statements, and you need to be acting in the best interest of the consumer and provide a, a disclosure of uh, what that means to the to the consumer as well. Uh, and then there's also some supervision requirements too uh, for insurance companies uh, when uh, producers are selling their products using 8424 as well. So you know if you don't meet the qualifications that we talked about earlier, and you can't rely on 8424 anymore. Means you're pigeonholed into uh, an exemption called 202002, um, and you know some folks uh, listening to this might recall back in 2016 the best interest contract exemption or the BIC. Uh, this was uh, pretty disastrous uh, for the industry. It was right. very problematic. Right. Um, it uh, you know it required you to uh, acknowledge fiduciary status, included all kinds of different restrictions um, and uh, disclosure requirements, and also included a private right of action. So you know, it was effectively a litigation trap for both producers and insurance companies. Uh, 2020 uh, which came out in 2020, hence the name. Right. Um, very creative names over the Department always, of Labor. Always. Yes. Uh, you know, it's kind of a watered down version of that, right? It's, okay. It, it includes a lot. It includes a fiduciary acknowledgement. It includes uh, a lot of the supervision, a lot of the disclosure that I just described in 84, the new 8424 should it go into effect. Um, but uh, so, you know, that that's ultimately where you're going to need to comply with if you cannot use 8424 as as proposed uh, here, the revised version as proposed here. Okay. So how does this new rule um, change the test for determining fiduciary status? Sure. So this is, uh, or, or may, maybe start with how do we determine fiduciary status now? Yeah, that's. And good. then how does this affect it moving forward? No, good question. So right now there's what's called a five part test for determining okay. fiduciary status. We're not going to get into the weeds on that, uh, but uh, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, most insurance producers are not meeting that five part test. Now in 2020, they changed this test, and or at least how they interpret this test. Um, and uh, one prong in particular says that you need to be providing uh, advice on, on, on an ongoing basis, on a recurring basis. So they interpreted that in a novel way where, you know, one-time advice with the anticipation of providing additional advice down the road could actually trigger fiduciary status. So okay. you know, as a result of that reinterpretation, a lot more folks now need to rely on PTE 8424. Sure. Um, and that's currently being challenged in court, but uh, that's kind of the lay of the land right now. Uh, you know, 
Department of Labor right now with this new rule is proposing to uh, dispense with, uh, you know, some of the um, some of the lack of clarity and make things very clear that uh, you would you you're going to be a fiduciary if you're offering qualified <laughs> advice. I mean, it's okay. pretty straightforward. Okay. Uh, they are saying that if you provide one time rollover recommendations, receive any compensation for giving advice um, and if giving advice is a part of your uh, regular part of your business. You're a fiduciary under this right. proposed rule. It's, you know, it's pretty clear cut, um, and that is uh, something that you know is going to be is very controversial. They, you know, this uh, this is similar to what they did back in 2016, and and that was struck down by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in 2018. So you know, for them to go back and try something very similar, uh, it's an interesting dynamic, and and we'll see if if that ends up becoming um, you know. Something that is challenging court down the road. I would suspect that 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 would be if they if they proceed with it, you know, as it's proposed right now. Yeah. So that was my next question. Was, you know, this this is just it, it really just seems like somebody's hitting the repeat button. Uh, everything seems very similar. So I would anticipate this is challenged, and, and from a legal standpoint, what do you see the outcome of that being? Is this another repeat of what we've already seen? Well, you know, I. I mean, not 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 to uh, yeah hold you to it, but you know, g- give me an idea of what you're feeling. Sure. So, well, I, I do want to emphasize again: this is only a proposal. So, right. you know, we're going to be part of uh, a lot of our trade associations are going to write uh, comment letters to the Department of Labor, try to get them to change their mind on some of these things, um, and uh, so we'll, and we'll certainly remind them of the Fifth Circuit decision uh, <laughs> repeatedly in those comment letters. Right. I can assure you that. Um, but if they do go forward with this as it's proposed, boy, I mean, it's it is. Um, it really is kind of like a repeat of what we saw last time around. So, I mean, uh, I think we'd have there'd be a pretty strong case to to overturn it again uh, in the courts uh, should they go for go down this path as proposed right now. So, we're correct me if I'm wrong. We're in the comment period now. We are. So, the comment period uh, is underway. Uh, there's going to be a a public hearing here in mid December, and then January second is the end of the comment period. We are asking for an extension of that because that's 60 days. That's that's right. a really short comment period in general. But then you throw in the holidays on top of that. I mean, sure. that's that's pretty tough. Um, uh, also, you know, classic DOL. I proposed the rule on Halloween and yeah. have the comment period over the over the holidays. But um, so we'll see if that's extended or not. But if it's not, you know, I think you you would um, you know DOL is going to have a lot of different comments to review. Then after uh, after that comment period is over, last time. In 2016, you know, there were over 3,000 unique comments that were submitted to DOL, um, in addition to a bunch of petitions as well. So, um, you know, I would expect similar volume this time around. Um, and, you know, they're supposed to really closely review all of those comments and, uh, you know, incorporate that into the, their decision making. So, right. um, you know, I, I think that uh, a final rule could come down the pipeline, maybe spring or summer of next year, okay. um, you know, if they stick with that 60 days. We will see. Okay. So if I'm an independent advisor or Asian financial professional right now, can I take some action during this comment period? You certainly can. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, or, you know, or what, what would you recommend I do during this comment? Period? I would recommend, uh, you know, if you're, if you are part of a trade association, get plugged in with, uh, with, you know, whether maybe it's uh, NAFA or others, you know, get plugged in with them and, um, you know, get an understanding of what their plans are and how you can help. Uh, maybe it's writing to your member of Congress. Maybe it's writing, uh, helping to contribute to comment letters or petitions to DOL. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could, you could, as an independent producer, I mean, you could absolutely submit your own comment letter to DOL and tell them how this would impact your business. I think that's uh, that's a very productive exercise. I mean, they need to hear from folks uh, about the real world implications of this. So uh, certainly something they could do. Very good. Um, but of course, on their behalf or, or on behalf of uh, our company here, 
you're working to make sure our voice is heard. Absolutely. So we are uh, we are going to be you know using every tool we have in the toolbox to sure. push back on this. I mean, this is extremely problematic for the independent distribution of annuities, and you know that that's just such a you know the strengths of independent distribution are are you know it's it's so apparent and so uh, important to consumers to have that uh, have be able have the ability different to choose between different uh, different companies uh, yeah it's just it's a really powerful model and it's worth defending and this is really is you know just not a good fit for the independent distribution so we will be doing everything we can to advocate uh, on behalf of that uh, and for you. Uh, you know, in the comments to the Department of Labor, and uh, we'll be doing some outreach to Capitol Hill as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll use every tool we have in our toolkit. Very good. So I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. I want to get, I want to jump back into, um, we were talking about fiduciary status. Yes. So um, many more people are going to be triggering this fiduciary status. Yes. What options are there for folks that trigger this status? So when you do trigger the status, you're going to need to rely on the prohibitive transaction exemptions then. So that's, you know, your options as proposed here, which again is subject to change, would be, you know, 2020-02, which is, uh, you know, that watered down version of the best interest contract exemption back in 2016, or this new 8424 that that looks a lot like uh, 2020-02. So those are really your two options okay. under this proposed rule. All right. Very good, Tyler. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So we have all of this proposed ruling. We have all this comment period. We have all this time, but it's going to go quickly. When can we expect some kind of final decision on this? So yeah, again, I think I think you know spring or summer possible for a final rule. But you know, it's important to note that you know just because DOL proceeds with a final rule doesn't necessarily um, you know mean that it's it's going to go into effect, right? I mean, right. there uh, it's possible that you know the industry could seek uh, injunctive relief uh, and you know. Before uh, before a court, um, it's possible that Congress could jump in and decide to uh, overturn this. Um, you know, so you know, there's a process called the Congressional Review Act, which in which a you know a simple majority in the Senate and the House can vote to overturn rulemaking. Then it would require a signature from from the uh, the president as well. So you know, unlikely to happen in um, in this Congress, but uh, you know, as we look to next Congress, that's possible too. So. Um, you know, you could also have uh, another administration potentially delay uh, the implementation or the effective date of this as well. So, you know, there's a lot of variables at play. Um, the important thing, I think, for folks out there is just to be aware of this, be thinking about it, um, and, uh, you know, but also understand that uh, a lot can change here. A lot can change. Okay. So I'm an independent advisor, uh, financial professional producer. On a scale of one to 10, how concerned should I be about? This rule, Ooh, I don't. It's a cop out, but I'm not going to put a number on it. You should be concerned, okay. uh, but you should also understand that uh, you know we've been we've been through this battle before, and uh, you know we uh, we've made it through it, <laughs> and right. um, you know we uh, we have some options at our disposal here, and we're gonna we're gonna fight, and uh, we will uh, we'll see how it shakes out, but certainly don't want to downplay the significance of it either. Very good. Well, Tyler, uh, man, I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing all that. I think that's great. It's a lot of good information, uh, especially when a lot of times things coming out of Washington are very confusing, and uh, it just it takes uh, a little bit of translation. So I appreciate that very much. Um, anything final you want to say about the fiduciary rule before we move on to something else? No, but I, I, I do. I, well, actually, I do have actually one more sure. thing I, I would add. Sure. Is you know, uh, 
I mentioned that we're going to be engaged in a lot of advocacy on this. Uh, one other thing I just want to emphasize to everyone that we will be focusing on in that advocacy is kind of clearing up some of the some of the myths that you're seeing perpetuated by proponents of this rule right now. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but if you you know read some of the materials or listened to some of the um, you know remarks that were given when this was rolled out on Halloween, um, you know there's a lot of misinformation out there about uh, about you know, our products and how they're distributed. And, you know, it was very troubling to hear that and right. frankly offensive to a lot of uh, really, uh, you know, really good, honest uh, advisors out there who are doing a great job and are acting in the best interest of their, of their, uh, of the folks they're advising right, right now. And, uh, you know, clearing some of that up will be a big priority for us as we, as we engage in advocacy. And uh, we've got a really powerful story to tell on that front, you know, especially as, uh, we have now have 40 states that have adopted the new NAIC model requiring a, a best interest uh, standard. Um, you know, that's going to be nationwide here before you know it. So uh, we've got a powerful story to tell, and it's a very different regulatory environment than it was back then. I think making sure that policymakers understand that is going to be a big priority going forward. I, I think that's great. And, you, you know, you're absolutely right. The um, kind of stigma associated with the insurance industry in general and annuities specifically they're, they're not always easy products to understand. And a lot of people have a very minimal understanding of them. And we rely on producers and agents and financial professionals to kind of bridge that gap and educate their clients about that. So I think that there is a lot of misinformation out there regarding uh, annuity products. So I, I think that's great. Absolutely. So, uh, Tyler, thank you so much. I want to jump right in here. This is the next part that I have for you. And it is a rapid fire Q&A. You ready for this? I'm springing this on you. I think I'm ready for this. All right. So uh, we are into the holidays. Favorite Thanksgiving food? Ooh. You know, I'd have to say uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. You know, just simple. I'm, I'm, I'm a simple man, Chris. Wow. I'm okay. a simple man. Like, I did not expect that. No, absolutely. It's the, you know, it's, yeah, I, I love love some good mashed potatoes and gravy. I mean, gravy makes it. My, my, my grandma has an outstanding gravy recipe. It's, it's very good. So yeah, that, time, that would be my favorite. What time should I be over? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're a golfer? Uh, yes. Favorite golf course you've ever played? Ooh, that is, that is tough. Um, you know, I uh, recently played uh, uh, TPC Deer Run recently over over oh, in sure. the Quad Cities. Sure. That was that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Great views along the water, and uh, I would say that's probably my favorite. Very good. Uh, music or podcast? What are you listening to these days? Well, I uh, listen to my uh, uh, Notre Dame football podcast. <laughs> Uh, multiple, uh, which was uh, you know pretty sad listen over the weekend. Actually, as it was a, yeah. it was a tough weekend for a Notre Dame fan, and my wife was uh, asking me, you know, why do you why do you listen to this after after you've been through so much pain? It's like, well, I need That's to heartbreak. Isn't it? I, I I need just... I need this. I need to <laughs> I need to feel I need to feel that pain. <laughs> all right, favorite movie or TV show of all time? Ooh, I would say It's a Wonderful Life would be my favorite wow. movie of all time. Really? Yes, yes absolutely. Which, Big fan. Which stars? Jimmy Stewart. Uh, J- 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 Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Yes. Who's from Iowa. Yes, exactly so right. So right here, right here, the yes. old homestead girl. Absolutely. Uh, lastly, if you could meet any historical figure, who would it be? Oh, I would say that's a tie for me between Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. Uh, I, I would like to, if it was, which historical figure would you like to have a drink with? It is Winston Churchill, hands down. Naturally. But uh, who I would, would, who I would drink you under the table before breakfast. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, but Abraham Lincoln would also be a very, very cool person to meet. Very good. Very good. Tyler, thank you so much for coming by today. Um, I, I appreciate it so much. And thank you for doing all the work 
on behalf of our producers and our company. I appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. We'll have more information on the proposed fiduciary rule as the rulemaking process progresses and we learn more about the proposal. So once again, thank you for listening to North American Unplugged today. You can listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as North American annuity senior leaders and guests discuss our latest products, value-add programs, and ease-of-business initiatives. You can subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Spotify by clicking the links on the video. I'm your host, Chris Nelson. I'll see you next time.